if you've got a Bible on you today, why don't you grab that and, and pull it out and, and turn to Matthew's Gospel this morning. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16 today, and this is God's Word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And we thank God for his word that still speaks to us today. Amen. We're into the penultimate week in our series exploring the parables of Jesus, where Jesus unpacks and reveals what the kingdom of heaven is like time after time after time after time. And this week, the picture of the kingdom is a vineyard. Several of my good friends got married uh, a number of years ago. And when you get married, uh, you tend to experience the most incredible generosity from people. Like all sorts of people you would never expect are incredibly generous. So you get to the days after the wedding at home, opening presents or cards or receiving the wedding list that you had put online. And you're astonished by what people do for you. Your great aunt, right, who you know is, is on a basic pension, has just bought you a dishwasher. Or your nanny and granda have given you a card with a check far more than you think they can afford. That person from church you barely know has bought you an Ace Coffee Grinder. And my friends were working their way through the gifts like I did whenever we got married. And they were just stunned at how generous people had been. And in amongst the gifts, right, they know they have a gift from their very well-off relative. Like they know he is, like he's landed, he's like gentry, you know, he's like, he knows lords, he owns horses, he's really, really well-off. And so seeing just how generous all these other people have been, they're like, I cannot wait to see what Uncle Marcus has bought for us. Uncle Marcus may not be his real name, but I couldn't call him Uncle Darren, right? It had to be something like that, right? They couldn't wait for what Uncle Marcus was going to buy them. So they see it, right? They see all the things, the presents lined up. They see it. They immediately go to open it, pushing all their presents out of the way. It's beautifully wrapped. When they pick it up, it's reasonably heavy. It's a reasonable sized gift. What could it be? The expectation 
is way up here, way, way up here. They rip it open and it's a toilet brush. Devastated, right? And sometimes in life, we form expectations about what we think we'll get or deserve to get in a whole range of different circumstances only to find that what we receive doesn't line up with what we expect to receive. And that's just what we read today in Matthew 20. See, it would have been a familiar scene to the listeners of the time. Wealthy landowners needed laborers to perform the work in their land. And to find the workers, they went to the marketplace where they would find unemployed, unskilled laborers waiting to be employed. It happened in every marketplace, in every rural setting around the country of that time. Think of it as the job center of that period. And these are men who are pretty low on the economic ladder, right? For a day's work, uh, for an unskilled laborer, a denarius is way more than a fair wage, right? It's, it's, it's really generous. And in this case, the landowner agrees a fee up front, right? Employed the men to work, and then he paid them at the end of the day when the work was done. And just on the face of it, as you read the parable today, the interpretation is relatively straightforward, right? You have the landowner who represents God. You have the vineyard, and for all time, right, the, the vineyard had represented Israel. And then you have the laborers, and, uh, and well, that's us. Though some commentators through the years have argued about you know, who they are and who we relate to dependent on the time that they were employed by the landowner, they are us, see this was a scene that was all too familiar to the listener. But where Jesus goes with it in the end, that was a scandal. It was familiar, but where Jesus goes with it was a scandal. See, the passage is bookended by the last verse of chapter 19 and the last verse of this particular parable in, in verse 16 by the same phrase, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And there is the scandal. There is the outcome no one expected. That's what this parable is about and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Really, this is a parable about undeserving generosity. It's all about grace. And it would have left listeners then, as maybe it does today, as you've just heard it with questions like, what is God like? What is just and fair? And where am I in the story? And I just want to unpack two things today from the parable that I think speak into what we believe about the kingdom of God. The parable of the workers in the vineyard talks about generosity and about welcome. This parable talks about generosity and welcome. The first of those things is generosity. Let's just read the passage from start to finish again. For the kingdom of heaven... It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. 
but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. See, the scene here is familiar because the key element in an agricultural working environment is the timing of the harvest. Weather was changeable, it was incredibly hot at times in the year, the crops were vulnerable to the heat or to to also being drowned if there was too much rain, and the crops needed to be harvested within a very short space of time, right when they were ready. It's like very often in the summertime or uh, as the weather starts to heat up here in Northern Ireland, you will see farmers kind of scrambling uh, to make hay whenever the weather is good, and and all of a sudden, all of the fields around you, if you live anywhere near countryside, will be full of farmers making hay, right? It has to be done in a very short space of time. And so all that meant that when the time came, landowners had to move quickly. So they went to the marketplace. And it was an incredibly uncertain life for unskilled laborers of this kind. They literally waited to find work on a daily basis. I mean, can you imagine the uncertainty? Could you imagine just waiting around, hoping to find work every day? One commentator describes the uncertainty of their lives as worse than that of a slave because at least they had a master. And in this case, the landowner agrees the payment with the workers for a day's work up front, right? You read that in verse 2. And the work was hard. It was some of the hardest work you could do. The working day ran from sunrise to sunset, something like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was incredibly hot, particularly in the middle of the day. It was dusty, it was dry as they tried to harvest crops to the deadline. And so as the day goes on, the landowner brings in more and more workers just to get the job done, right up to near the end of the day where the very last group of workers arrive and they only work for one hour. And then comes the end of the day. And as was the custom uh, in the world of that time, workers were paid at the end of the working day. So they had some money to take home to put food on the table. And this is the scandal. So the landowner, it almost feels like he wants to cause the scandal, doesn't it? Like when he lines them up to pay them, he specifically commands that those who were last in are paid first, almost so that everybody else sees what he pays those who work for only one hour. And the ones who had worked all day, they object. Verse 11 and 12, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You paid them what you paid us? No way is basically the sentiment of what they say. And here's the thing. When I read that passage this morning, there's probably not one of us who couldn't identify with how they felt, is there? I mean, we get it. We get it, don't we? They had borne the hard work. It's not fair, is it? Like some part of you and I is riled by it, aren't we? It seems unjust. It feels unfair. Every one of us has felt that way in life and has probably felt like that when it comes to following Jesus, haven't we? Like how come they got the relationship? 
How come they have all those gifts and opportunities? How come they have the job? How come they never seem to experience bad things? Why do I seem to suffer ill health and all of that stuff? It's not fair, Jesus. Here's the thing. The issue is not so much that we take a look around and think that others should get less. It's that we take a look around at what they have and think that we should get more. And again and again and again, it's the power of comparison in our lives, isn't it? This wasn't a scandal because anyone got less than they were promised. It was a scandal because many got more than they deserved. It wasn't a scandal because all of a sudden the landowner said, we agreed this, but no, I'm going to shortchange you. Everybody got what they were promised. The scandal was that many got more than they deserved. This wasn't a scandal of God's stinginess. It was a scandal of generosity. And when it comes to following Jesus, so often we'd rather take a contract over generosity, wouldn't we? Like if we're really honest with ourselves, there have been times in our lives, I'm sure, when we'd rather have had a contract than the generosity of God. We'd rather, we think fairness is greater than grace, don't we? Like if we, had, if we could just sit down with God and agree exactly what following him would look like, leading into the things that he's put in your heart and the things you feel that he's doing in your life. If we could just sit down, Jesus, and we could just talk about what it would mean to follow you, what it would cost and what we'd gain, then we'd rather have it that way sometimes, wouldn't we? Because it would be predictable. It would be understandable. It would be comfortable. No alarms and no surprises. And to some of the early commentators on this passage, they thought there was a real works versus grace tension going on in the parable. Like the early workers, those who who get in early, some of the the commentators uh, see them as representing Judaism. And it's hundreds of years of customs and service and traditions and rules and the later laborers who come in late in the day with no background, they don't bear the brunt of the work, seeing them as the Gentiles in at the end. But here's the thing. The desire to follow Jesus out of a reliance on our works. Look how good I am. Isn't a Judaism thing? It's a human thing. It's a you and me thing. Particularly here in Northern Ireland, where we have our Northern Irish prod, get your head down, work hard for just rewards mentality. A contract of our faith seems more straightforward at times, seems more fair, doesn't it? But it's not. It doesn't work that way. You can almost hear the dry wit in Jesus' voice when he says, friend, in verse 13. By the way, every time Jesus uses that word, it's usually a sign that someone is about to get corrected. It's as if we'd complain to Jesus that what we receive isn't fair, and he'd start to say, fair? You want fair? Really? I'm not sure I even know where to start. Let's take a look at your life. And you want to talk about justice? Let's start with how I paid for years. You want fair? I deal in grace. N.T. Wright, speaking on the passage, says this. God's grace, in short, is not the sort of thing you can bargain with or try to store up. It isn't the sort of thing that one person can have a lot of and someone else only a little. The point of the story is that what people get from having served God in his kingdom is not actually a wage at all. 
It's not strictly a reward for work done. God doesn't make contracts with us as if we could bargain or negotiate for a better deal. He makes covenants in which he promises us everything and asks of us everything in return. When he keeps his promises, he is not rewarding us for effort, but doing what comes naturally to his overflowingly generous nature. And that's it, isn't it? That's the picture of the parable that we read today where nobody gets less than they're promised but many get more than they deserve. The great preacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to this in this particular passage as bookkeeping. We try to bookkeep and record the many parts of our lives, don't we? The achievements, the sacrifices, the years of service, the pain. Look at all I've done, Lord, when it comes to our expectations about what we deserve. Like some attempt to justify ourselves and our want for more when we look at what he has done for someone else. And yet there is this sense of upside downness to the kingdom and to the Jesus way, isn't it? On a personal note, I finish prepping a sermon most weeks. Normally it's late in the evening. I'll come into the living room where Joy is and she will nearly always ask, well, how was that? And I'll say something, uh, normally I have a couple of reactions, right? One will be when I say something like, yeah, I think it's, I think, yeah, I think it's good. I think I've got something decent to say this week. But an awful lot of weeks I will say, just not great. Didn't really, couldn't get into it this week. Just never really felt like I got a hold of it properly. And the funny thing is, you know, that nearly all, every time that I have answered joy, yeah, I think it's good. On a Sunday, it doesn't seem to happen as much. And yet nearly every single time I say, I don't think it's really there, I don't think it's great, are the Sundays where God seems to move profoundly. I watched Jamie in the office in the last week uh, doing his tax return, uh, diligently going through document after document after document, highlighting things, stapling things on, doing the hard work of doing his tax return, right? And it struck me, you know, while I was prepping for this and watching him do that, that in the accountancy of our world, the whole, alarm, the whole idea is to have no surprises, isn't it? Like every receipt, every spend, every payment, it's all there. Like he can hand it to the tax man or an accountant and say, look, I can demonstrate where everything goes. It's all there. It's all accounted for. Here's the thing. In the accountancy of the kingdom, it is going to be full of surprises where our weakness and our frailty turns out to be power, with the things very often that we're ashamed of, stuff in our past, things like anxiety and worry and depression, stuff that we carry now that we feel holds it back, sometimes turn out to be the things that enable us to have a power to speak to people walking through the same stuff, and where our self-confidence turns out to be foolish. In the accountancy of the kingdom, there is going to be loads of surprises. Here is the secret, Lloyd-Jones says, forget it all. Don't bookkeep, stop checking the clock, don't count your pay, stop taking notes of the scars, don't look left or don't look right, forget it all, stop counting and remember grace. Remember the generosity of God that brought you here, remember the privilege of being called to work for him. This is what he says at the end of his particular commentary on this passage. Remember, it is grace. So that when you and I come to lie on our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us there is the thing that helped us 
right at the beginning. You want fair? I'm sorry, but that's not the currency of the kingdom. And thank God that it isn't. But generosity is. As Tim Keller said, we are far more broken and flawed than we dare believe, but more loved than we dare hope. The first thing this parable tells us about the kingdom is that it's a kingdom of generosity. But secondly, it's about welcome. It's about welcome. These are the first few verses again. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same again. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Though so much of the scene that Jesus paints in this parable would have been familiar to listeners of the time, there is one feature that was not common, and that was the landowner. Most of the commentators on this passage recognize that it's likely that the landowner's operation was large with significant resources. It was probably a large estate with lots of members of staff and foremen who oversee operations and just look at the size of the workforce that he goes on to employ for the day. And for an operation of this size, it was usually someone else's job, probably the foreman, to go and find workers and employment. It wasn't the landowner's job. And yet for this landowner, it was. He was not common because he sought out his workers. And the thing is that it's not like he went once, right? It's not like you could say, well, he went at the start of the day, he rounded them up, and, you know, that was that. He didn't go once. He went to the marketplace to look for laborers at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. Five times he went. And one of the cultural commentators in the time suggests that going throughout the day encouraged the earlier workers as more hands brought fresh morale and so greater productivity. But here's the thing. In continuing to go to the marketplace to find workers at three and even more so at five, he didn't need the workers. He didn't need their help. So what was it about then? It was way more about them than it was the work. Why? Because he cares. See, we kind of get the feeling that the ones who come to work later on in the day are lazy, don't we? Maybe it's because of some of the exchange that the landowner has with them, but our kind of first reaction whenever we read the parable is that they're lazy, right? They come in late in the day. They've been standing around there in the marketplace all day doing nothing, right? In verse 6 it says, About five in the afternoon he went out, found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Verse 7, Because no one has hired us, they answered. Here's the thing. It's five o'clock. They've been here all day and they still haven't found work. Not because they were lazy, but because no one hired them. That's what it says. In other words, these were outcasts, no ones. Men who didn't appear particularly able. Maybe they had disabilities or injuries. Either way, they were not employable. 
And in the world of that time, no work equals no food. In other words, these men were going home if they had one to families again tonight to tell them that they couldn't put food on the table. This is a hopeless situation. And probably people who were beginning to feel hopeless. And yet still this landowner tries. He employs them. Only he will. Nobody else has. And right in this moment, biblical justice looks like generosity. And that generosity, that welcome is extended to everyone. No matter how capable, how strong, how employable they were. It is extended to them all and the rewards were the same for them all. See, we really easily create categories in the kingdom if we're not careful because of people's gifts or opportunities or background or families or resources or even how long they've served. We create categories and we relate those categories to how hashtag blessed these people are, right? How great their reward seems to be, how great the opportunities and the stuff, the good stuff that comes their way, but the kingdom doesn't work that way, does it? Like, for example, Moses and Samuel are two giants of our faith, aren't they? Yet Moses served for 120 years, but Samuel only for 52. And yet they both appear side by side in passages like Jeremiah 15. See, the length of our service and the long hours of our work constitute no claim on God and provide no reason why he should not be generous to those who might look like they've done less or are worth less. Because in the parable, every single one was undeserving of a sum as large as a denarius. And in the kingdom, every single one of us is as undeserving of the love that comes for us, aren't we? There are no categories in the kingdom. There are no levels. Only every single one of us who received so undeservedly the gift of perfect love. I have been really fortunate in my life to see the band Explosions in the Sky a number of times. They are a band I absolutely love. For those of you that don't know, they are a post-rock instrumental guitar band, right? And it, maybe right now you've checked out, right? It's a bit geeky, okay? But if, if you're interested, you've never heard of them, go and listen uh, to the album uh, The Earth Is Not A Cold Dark Place as a, as a starting place, right? Just if you're interested. If you're not, that's cool. You might not like it at all. I love them, right? I've got to see them a number of times. Uh, and when I got to see them live, okay, there was this thing that they did which is the thing that I will always remember from their shows. And it wasn't their playing, it wasn't the lights, it wasn't the atmosphere of the gig, it was none of those things, even though those things were amazing. It was that they didn't do an encore. It's a really conscious thing, they just don't do encores. Like, not only that, but the lead singer ends up coming out as, as kind of the crowd is chanting, one more song, one more song, you know how they do, right? And he comes out in front of like a thousand people, gets up to the mic in front of all of them, right? Waits for them to quiet. And eventually, softly spoken, he says, I'm really sorry, but we don't do encores because we really feel that we, what we played tonight is our best. Everything we had, as good as we can do. So that's it. I'm sorry. Thanks so much for coming out. And he walked off. And it's so counter to what we expect when we go to see bands that we love, isn't it, right? When we go to shows of a good size, like they hold back the big hit and then wheel it out for the encore. Only whenever people are chanting and getting ready for that do they come out and play the big song. 
Here's the thing about the gift of Jesus that brings us to our place in the kingdom. There is no encore. There is nothing held back. There is nothing held back from you or I. There is only perfect love poured out for us. And you can't do better. You can't improve. You can't have more than perfect. Perfect love that comes in generosity makes a scandal of fair. Perfect love that crosses boundaries, has no categories, comes for us all, has nothing held back. Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible writes this, it was not the nails that kept Jesus on the cross, but love for us. Love. The undeserved generosity of perfect love. The welcome of perfect love. A love where everyone is welcome and everyone has a job to do. You know, the parable tells us that the first workers, they get a contract of what they're going to get paid, don't they? But those who come in later on in the day, not even much later, those 9, 12, 3, and 5, right? They're told that they'll be paid whatever is right, is what the landowner says. In other words, they have no idea what they'll receive. They just have to trust. Here's the good news. They get more than they could have imagined. The last will be first and the first will be last. It's not about the orders being reversed. It's about how every form of ordering is abandoned and in its place, generosity and welcome. The kingdom of heaven is marked by generosity and welcome where nothing is held back from you, where there are no categories, there are no levels where generous makes a scandal of fair.